mean the full expression of God's very presence. The glory being the sum total of who He is. The glory being the totality of God's virtues, His character, His holiness, His righteousness, His power. No matter what your situation is, no matter how confusing, no matter how desperate, when you get into God's presence and you experience the glory of His presence, you will find that He is more than enough. You'll find that He is the be-all, end-all of everything that you need. It's hard to describe His glory in these words and these kinds of expressions, but let's lift our hands. Father, we ask tonight for a special grace of Your glory in this place to the unsaved once they see and experience that expression of the Savior to those that are sick in body sick in spirit maybe sick in soul once they experience your glory they'll know that you're more than enough to those that are confused to those that are weary with the struggles of life, to those that are going through just confusing, confounding, overwhelming, stressful things in their life right now, you have the answer. Holy Spirit, You're the agent. We invite you into this place tonight. Father, I pray a special blessing on your word. I don't want to over-preach and I don't want to under-preach. I just want to be obedient, Lord, and just be your mouthpiece tonight. Thank you, God, for that opportunity just to be used by you. Lord, I pray that you would touch your people, your special people, your precious people. I know that many of them are tired and I know that many of them are weary, but there is glory to come. There's glory to come. Your word says in Romans chapter 8, the sufferings which we now endure are not worthy of the glory that shall be revealed in us. And it's not even the glory of our own. It's your glory. It's your presence that will be shown through us. We love you. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. You can be seated tonight. Didn't our praise team do a wonderful job tonight under Pastor John and Miranda and all the... It is 
It is good to be up here tonight. I do not, as I said, I do not want to over-preach and I don't want to under-preach. I just want to do my best to convey what it is I feel like the Lord would have his body to hear tonight. I want to, I want to talk to you. The Lord has laid a topic on my heart that is uh, nothing new in the church, but the Lord has had me digging in as of late. I've got a little bit of echo up here, Justin, if you can help me out with that. And we find ourselves, I feel like, and I feel like in my spirit, that we find ourselves in a place of spiritual warfare that is unique in our time. How many of you would agree with that? Yeah. There's always been an element of that. Ever since the church has been on the face of the earth, there's always been spiritual warfare. But we're living in a unique time, and we know that. But tonight, I want to talk to you briefly I want to talk to you about this thing that the Lord laid on my heart about spiritual warfare, training versus trying, training versus trying. And if you have your Bibles, I just have one short passage of scripture. You can remain seated. Very, very familiar passage. It simply says this. It says in Galatians chapter five and verse 17. It says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Jesus had a famous quote in the book of Matthew chapter 26, and he was relating to this conflict, and it was a Also, a familiar passage where he said in Matthew 26 that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you can identify with that? That that statement by Jesus is the essence of what spiritual warfare really is. We know that we fight an enemy, we fight a, a foe, but the battleground is as the scripture says, the battleground is really within our lives. The battleground is that spirit within us waging war, so to speak, against the fleshly nature. And when scripture talks about the flesh, it's talking about that sinful tendency, that sinful longing and tendency that we have in the flesh, in our corrupted nature, in our corrupted being. And when you think of spiritual warfare for the saved person, the individual that is truly redeemed, the war rages between our redeemed spirit and what we know according to the word of God against our fleshly nature and our bodies with all of its cravings, with all of The things that our soul wants, what is our soul? It is our mind and our will and our emotions. And so again, on one end you have the spirit and then you have the flesh and in the middle you have this war, so to speak, going on with the soul and everything is just this this struggle with our will and our mind and our emotions and our sinful tendencies in the body and our spirit going this direction. And, And how many of you know that we are called to live an overcoming life in the Lord. So that's the struggle for the saved person. For the lost person, the unredeemed, 
The war is simply about keeping them lost. It is to keep them blinded to the truth of the gospel. That's what the scripture points out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And it says this, that if the good news be preached, the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. It goes on to say that they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the devil's task in that is he is trying to keep the lost blind. And tonight, for our purposes, I want to focus on that second part. I want to focus on that part where it's talking about the redeemed, our struggle as believers. For the believer, the issue in spiritual warfare is not so much a battle over us being saved or not saved. The war that rages in the heart and the mind and the spirit and the body and the flesh of every Christian, true blood-bought saint of God is this. Will I genuinely become more or less like Christ in the flesh while I'm on the earth? Will I live a life that is in accordance and adherence with the word of God? Will I become more like Jesus as every day goes on? As a believer, will I come to share more and more and more in Christ's vision in his love, in his hope, in his feelings, in his habits. In other words, when people see me in my flesh, how much of Jesus will they see? Will I identify with him? My spirit can be redeemed and does identify with him but does my body and does my soul. As believers in this spiritual war that we're going through, this training versus trying, and I'll get to that in just a minute, we are helped and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do just that, to become like Jesus Christ. So even that is an act of grace that we are even able to carry on in this thing we call spiritual warfare. It is a grace of God that we can grow and develop and become like Jesus. The fact that God has graced us with his presence tells us that it is possible to win the war and the daily battles. How many of you believe that? You truly, genuinely believe that? Raise your hand if you believe that. If it was not for grace, it would be impossible. But we have grace on our side. It's by His grace that plays the largest part in what we do. And I want to just make a statement here, and I hope it makes sense. I heard a guy say one time, he said, Grace is, is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. You say, where are you going with this, Josh? My point in making this statement is to say that there is a concept and there's this belief in the broader church today 
that as long as I say the sinner's prayer, repeat what the preacher tells me to say, I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. But Jesus goes on to point out in John chapter 14 that he that does the will of my Father. Come on. And we know according to Ephesians 2 that we are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. But I want to say this too, that as a result of the unbelievable grace of God, there should be something about His grace and that change in the Spirit that compels us to be like Jesus. And that requires effort. But it is not an effort that we are left to our own devices. Even that effort is helped out by God Almighty. So we are not left alone to our own devices. We, we initiate effort, but at the same time, that is grace, if you want to use that expression, to grow and be more like the Lord. Now, I want to make a statement here. And even in the church world, there is this belief, you know, whether people say it out loud or whether they just believe it, that it's almost as though this war, this spiritual war, this struggle, that the enemy has the upper hand. Friend, listen to me. There is nothing equal between God and the devil. There is nothing equal about them. That has got to be one of the biggest lies and the biggest deceptions of this spiritual warfare that we face as believers. Is that we're losing the war. Is that the enemy has control. Is that the enemy somehow has got the upper hand on God. And that the church has just wandered around like a lost goose. And we don't know what to do. That God's lost control. There is nothing equal between God and the enemy. God is not worried about how to handle the devil. The devil is a created being. If anything, he is, he, he is like Michael, the archangel in Scripture, or Gabriel. He is a created servant who rebelled. And God kicked him out of heaven. He has no power. One pastor said this, that the devil and his demons are meant as training ground for Christians for when we will one day rule and reign with Christ. Let that sink in. Humanity, for the believer, we have one assignment. For the Christian, we have one assignment. And that is to destroy the powers of darkness on the earth. We are not called to a defensive posture. We are not called to circle the wagons and, 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 and just hold ground as best we can, thinking in the back of our heads that we're all going to go out anyway. We are called to take ground. Jesus said that we are to occupy until he comes. Oh, he's coming soon. But he said that we are to occupy. That is a military term. 
If you go in and conquer ground, you leave forces there to hold down the fort. And as more ground is gained, forces are sent in to hold the fort as we go forward and as we move forward. But even though we are meant to destroy the powers of darkness with sin, hear me now, with sin in people's lives, we forfeit. He didn't overwhelm us. Listen to my wording. He doesn't overwhelm us. We forfeit the ability to defeat him. We give up before the fight even happens. But hear me. Jesus took on flesh and he beat the powers of sin on our behalf and he handed us the reward of his victory. So in other words, he came down and he defeated the enemy and the prize of that war, of that battle, he gave us the prize. And so now we no longer fight for victory. We as believers are fighting from a place of victory. That's where you should have just jumped all over the place right there. We fight from a place of victory toward a broken world. Those people in that other group that are, that, that are bound, the unredeemed, they're blinded. And as believers, because we have victory in Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives, as, as you and I go forward in this spiritual warfare in my life, and carrying the gospel and the good news to other places, what we are doing is we are marching toward conditions in the world and we are setting people free by the good news of the gospel. We occupy it. It's the responsibility of every single believer. Every believer. So we train. We practice. We do war games. We do things that mimic struggle. We study the word of God. We pray. We come to Sunday school. Come on, Sunday school. We go to small group. We have discussion. We go to counseling. We go to specialized classes. We do things. We do devotion at home. We pray together as a group at home. We do things with the intention of not just trying to get the attention of God. Well, I hope this works. No. We do it with an intentionality that says I am being trained and I am training myself and I am training the next generation to take ground. Maybe there's spiritual ground that needs to be taken in your life. Come on. Maybe there's spiritual bondages and things in your life or that of your family that need to be broken. That's gaining ground. Maybe there's bondages in your community, in your subdivision, amongst your friends, 
in southeast Missouri, in Poplar Bluff, in the United States. Come on, somebody. Where we see the enemy marching on, on, in, in war and it's organized and it's, it's coordinated and it's effective. And Christians, what we have done is we just kind of, well, let's, let's just try and do something. We don't really know what to do. Should we pray? So let's pray. Should we pray? Well, maybe we'll read our Bible a little more. Maybe that'll. And we just go through all of these motions, hoping to hit the right answer. And God is saying, No, 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 no. You've got to train yourself for this thing. Men and women that fight in the armed services, they don't just sign up one day and then all of a sudden they're just thrown into some sort of a position. No, they go through training and they go through repetition and they learn the job and they go over and over and over and they master whatever it is their duty is so that whenever they are called upon to do their thing, it's second nature. It's second nature. I am fighting from a position of experience and authority and power. I'm fighting from a position of victory, not for or not to gain victory. I'm already victorious. Am I making sense, church? And because we're fighting from a place of victory, that's why we have reason to celebrate. You know why I think the church is no, uh, no more victorious than what it really is? It's because we've been tricked. The enemy is good at his deception. Are you hearing me? As believers, we are simply learning how to apply that which Jesus has already been victorious over. I'm just taking his victory and applying it to the situation. How many of you need healing? Come on, how many of you need healing? Okay. By his stripes, we are healed. Be it through a miracle, be it through the hands of the doctors, I just apply his victory. Come on. And I walk in it. And I stay in that. And when doubt comes in to overwhelm me and I get discouraged and I get down, God, I just keep applying the victory. How do I do it? By faith. I just keep applying his I didn't win it. He did. And I keep applying that victory. I keep going to the doctors. I keep doing, but you apply what he has done, and that is the training. And there's stages of development in our lives that will lead, hear me now, to either obedience or rebellion. There are stages of development in our lives that will lead to obedience or it will lead to rebellion. What happens in this warfare is that the enemy, he will launch a misinformation campaign. He will, he will project pretext. He'll start launching false news. He will start uh, uh, trying to deceive people, lie, twist, manipulate. And it, and it gets to the point that people don't know what to believe. They get discouraged. They hear one side saying this, the next side saying this. Everybody's looking at the same situation, but how could there be such disagreement? How could, and everybody just gets discouraged and we throw our hands up. What happens as individuals, the war 
this war that's going on spiritually, it has believers hanging their heads in shame. Because they can come into church and they can get preached to and they can hear the good news of the gospel and, 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 and they can hear scripture and they can get prayed over only to go out into the world and be treated something totally different and not feel like that it was genuine and so they just hang their heads in shame. Or they come in expecting something from the church and when the church doesn't live up to whatever it is they're expecting, they, they get discouraged. The enemy comes in and twists. He comes in and manipulates. They start thinking that there's no hope. They start thinking that they're alone. And this creates division within the ranks. People lose courage. The church has lost its courage. Let, 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 me, just, let me just give you an example. Have you all heard what's going on in Canada right now with the new law that was passed? Anybody? Mike, different ones have? About talking about um, people that identify as a gender other than what they were born as, that you can't even, you really can't even talk about it. Preachers can't preach against it. You can't counsel people. You can't, because if you do, you're subject to five years imprisonment. This just passed in Canada. You say, oh man, that's Canada. No, listen, friends, it's coming right here. It's coming. You talk about spiritual warfare, this has already passed in Canada. In fact, uh, uh, Pastor um, Mark Hitchcock, I heard him talking the other day on, on TV, and he said, I think it was 10 years ago, he went to Canada to do a conference, and this Canadian pastor he was talking to, he brought up the whole issue uh, about same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff, and this Canadian pastor, he said, he said, Mark, if you bring that up, and you talk about it in one of your sessions, he said, they can find you and arrest you and throw you in prison. That was 10 years ago in Canada. Things have now progressed. And that same agenda is, is coming here. Can I tell you, the church has got to be courageous. It's got to be courageous in this day. As individuals, the war has believers uh, suffering from a loss of vision. Pastor Randy hit on that this morning. Vision. Vision. Maybe not even so much. You know, obviously, we need, we need a vision for the church. But what is your vision for your life? What, what, is, what is God's vision for your life? If you're in the military, if, you know, I keep going back to that illustration. We're, we're in spiritual warfare. You have to have a vision. You've got to know what it is you are called to do. Know your job, what you're trying to accomplish. Keeping the enemy at bay, the, the ground I'm trying to get. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have something that's God-breathed inside of you that compels you and moves you forward. Or you will not gain ground. And this notion of we're just going to sit back in, in the sweet by and by until the rapture happens. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day when God said, you know what? You should have done more. Come on. Third thing is this. There's a loss of identity. There's a loss of identity. We got to learn to identify with Jesus. 
so many people within the church world right now, they, they, they have this, this complex, or I don't even know what, what kind of word to give it. They, they have this feeling as though they've been abandoned and, and just, just left to the day-to-day circumstance. They almost, they almost have an orphan spirit. They almost have an orphan spirit to where even though they come into the church house and even though they, they're, maybe they're saved, maybe they're genuinely saved on their way to heaven, there's just this feeling that they're just kind of alone, struggling through life. And, and, and can I tell you, that's part of the enemy's deception. That's part of the lie. That's to get you to feel beat down. That is to get you to feel less than. That is to get you to feel that you are on the losing side. But it's a lie. Greater is he that's in me. I know I don't always feel like something great is in me because of who. But I have to accept that by, the, by faith in the word of God. I'm jumping ahead of my notes. I don't, I don't know if he's here tonight. I, I got his permission today. I didn't want to use him as an example if, if he wouldn't allow it. But a few days ago I was talking to Wayne Eversall. We were just in a conversation on the phone, and, and uh, he, he brought something up. He said, hey, Josh, before I let you go, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember his exact words. I'm just paraphrasing. He said, hey, before I let you go, he said, I want to talk to you for a minute about the Bible reading that the church is doing. I said, yeah. He said, you know, he said, that's amazing. I said, I agree. And he said, it works. I said, what do you mean it works? I, I was like, what, you know, kind of help me out here. He said, man, he said, I'm just telling you, he said, since we've been doing that, he said, things are just different. There's different in the house. They're just, they're just different in my life. He said, you know, and, and listen, I can, I can identify with him. You know, we all say, man, I should have read more, should have started more and all this kind of stuff. I said, yeah, you know, my family, we're doing it every night. We're reading, we're taking turns reading chapters. But he said, there's just something powerful about that that just sets the direction of the rest of the day. I said, yes, there is. Can I tell you that that is stepping into the battle? Come on. That that is stepping into the battle. That is preparing your mind so that when the enemy comes against you, you've got the word of God in you now that it hits the word of God. And when the struggle comes on, you're able to combat it. And when he starts coming in with a lie, you're able to say, no, no, no. That's That's not right. That's not what the word of God says. The enemy is first and foremost, if he is anything, a liar and a cheat and a deceiver. And the only thing that will combat something like that is the pure, unadulterated truth. And when you give him the truth in the face of his lies, he shuts up. Because he no longer has any power, he no longer has any influence, and he has to flee. These internal struggles and questions that we go through in life. You say, well, what do they mean? What I'm talking about is this redeemed spirit of ours has got to learn how to be fleshed out. Come on. we got to learn how to flesh out that courage that God has given us. we got to learn to flesh out that redeemed spirit, that, that, that new mind being transformed. All of these things, all of these blessings... 
we got to learn what it is to be a true child of God and have his character and have his dignity and have all of his characteristics so that when we march into life, the enemy is not really facing us. He's facing the Holy Spirit in us. He's not messing with me. He's messing with the Holy Spirit and God that is in me so that we can be a reflection and take on the forces of the enemy. I'm I'm trying to hurry. All these battles, all these things that are going on that we see, you know, I don't even have to talk about them. You already know. All these things that are going on that are being manifest. It's easy to get down. I had mentioned last week, on Sunday morning when I came up, I just felt impressed to the Lord. This, this, this series, that this study I've been doing has been on my heart for some time. And I love the scripture where it says in Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, it says that God is the glory and the lifter of our head. They sang, John and Randy, they sang about the glory a while ago. God is the glory. He is the glory. And he is the lifter of my head. And I gave the example, and I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. Everyone, maybe you have a child. Maybe you have children that maybe they feel down and out. Maybe they've had a horrible day at school. Maybe they went through something. Or maybe they've been lied on, cheated on. Maybe they have some kind of a shameful thing going on. And they walk in, and and their head is just down, and they're just overwhelmed, and they don't have a sense of purpose and, and all of a sudden, something that makes the difference is when, when the parent comes in, be it the mom or the dad, and they're down and they just come up to you and they just lift your head. Hey, lift your head. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the parent just comes in and grabs him by the chin a little bit and just lift your head. You say, well, why, why is that? What, what is that? Why does that work? It's because it's the presence of the parent that is interjecting his or herself into the situation that the child is going through saying, I've got this. It's going to be okay. Maybe they did fail. Maybe they did sin. Maybe they did do something horrible. Maybe they did do something wrong. But the fact that you come in and you begin to lift their head, it does something and what you are becomes their glory. And can I tell you, when you get into the presence of God and you bring him your shame and you bring him your brokenness and you bring him all of your conditions that don't seem to match up, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and says, lift your head. And he says to you, my glory is now your glory. And he builds you up and he lifts you up and he affirms you and he identifies with you. Jesus came in flesh. Why? So that he could identify with us. Now, because of what he did in the flesh and what he's done in our spirits, we can now identify with him. And because of that, that's what it's going to take where we get in this training mode where we understand as a church and as a culture where we are in this day and age, how we have to live this thing out. People all the time talk about in this day and time, I have many conversations. People ask, I ask questions, people say, well, are, are, you know, are, we, are we in the last days? I, I believe that. Josh, are we seeing a, a great falling away? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're seeing a huge falling away within the broader church world. 
But you know what? We're seeing unbelievable moves of God all over this world right now. As quick as somebody abandons the faith, I heard just the other day that there was a, some famous pastor that just, now the term, now the fancy term, the woke term for it is deconstruct. They don't call it giving it up the faith, they call it deconstruct. We are deconstructing our faith, whatever that means. In other words, they're just saying we don't believe it anymore. And for every one of them that deconstructs, God is instructing. And he is bringing them to faith. And can I tell you that in this war, God is wanting to instruct us. He is wanting to train us for the days and times in which we live. There has been this oppression, this shame, this purposelessness in the church. So much so that many people thought living an overcoming life free from, from sin, free from deception, free from bondage, free from sinful habits, that it's just not even, you know, it's, it's good preaching. Preachers preach on it. It's good preaching. Sounds good. But, you know, it's just really not attainable. So I hope to just scrape by into heaven on the grace of God. And when we get up there and we stand before the Lord one day, we will be bankrupt not having anything to show Him. Oh, we might get into heaven, but are you going to be bankrupt? Or are we going to go in and when God looks at us, is he really going to say, well done? How many of you want that spoken over you? Some of us, he might just say, come on in. Come on. Now, we want the Lord to say, well done. Where we are storming the enemy. Let me just tell you. All these things that the enemy is doing to try and discourage the church, it's a lie. It's a lie. What we do in the flesh matters. Come on, church. How we behave matters. What we think matters. What we say matters. I can go on and on and on. In other words, while the fight is fought in the spiritual the victory or the defeat in the life of the believer is manifested in the physical. Did that make sense? It took me a second when I wrote it down. It's a spiritual war, but it has natural physical implications. You've got to start training early, and you've got to be consistent. Listen to what the Word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. I'm about to bring it to a close. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It says this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, your gates. People ask the question, okay, Josh, how, how, do, how do we engage? How do we train for this day and time in which we live? How do we train for this spiritual warfare that we're a part of right now as opposed to just jumping in? You, when, I, when I hear people say that they'll try something, what, what really what they mean, and I've said this before too, really what they mean is there has just been some unexpected circumstance happen on them, and, and now they're like, I, I, I don't really know what to do here. I'll just give it my best shot and see what happens. 
Do you see the difference in that kind of an attitude versus of God has raised me up for a time such as this? You see the difference in that? God has raised you up for such a time as this. He wants to train you. He wants to empower you. He wants to equip you. This passage that I just read to you, it tells you how to do this. The one thing that you got to do, the first thing is you have to love God. Charles Stanley, who's no longer a senior pastor, many of you have probably seen his TV series, sermon series, for, was on TV for years and years and years. I think he recently retired a year or so ago. I remember hearing him preach a message after he had, he gave this testimony that after he had been a pastor, now get this, it just for him to even say it, it just kind of rocked me. He said after he had been a pastor for years, he said he felt the Holy Spirit one day just, just speak to his heart and said, Charles, do you love me? And it, it, you know, if you've ever had those kind of God moments, it just kind of stops you in your tracks. And, you, and he said he, he stopped and he took an inventory of himself and he said, no, I don't. I don't really love you. And I wonder how many people come into the church house because it's just the thing to do. Or do we come in because we genuinely love God? Now in his case, that was a, that, that was a defining moment. And he began to pursue what is it to love God? What does that even mean to love God? How do I love God? Aren't I supposed to have all of the warm, squishy, ooey feelings? Is that what it is to love God? Shouldn't I get really emotional about it every single time I think about loving God? I do think that your emotions are an indicator, but they're not the be-all, end-all. You say, well, Josh, how do you love God? Here's how you love God. You love God by allowing your body, your soul, and your spirit to value Him, admire Him, and enjoy Him above anything and everything else. And I want to tell you, sometimes you've got to be intentional with that. It's not always easy. But the more that you get into the presence of God, and the more that you start connecting with Him, even when it's hard, He will do the heavy lifting of that relationship. And he will give you his glory. He will give you his presence. And he will move on you in such a way that you will begin to fall more in love with Jesus. The Bible says in many places that we have to set our affection on God. That's intentional. It's where you make a conscious decision under the help of the Holy Spirit in spite of how you always feel that I'm going to take my emotional situation, I'm going to take my will, I'm going to take my mind, I'm going to take myself, my flesh, and even when I don't want to, I'm going to take it and I'm going to intentionally position it on God. And as I do that, He also begins to do the same with me. Love begins to develop. The, word, the Greek word translated for affection in the New Testament can also be translated to savor. 
Now, I get told all the time when I go out to eat with people, Josh, you eat way too fast. That's because when I was in school, we had 12 minutes to eat lunch. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I got really good at scarfing it down. I, most days could even go back for seconds. I had time. There was no enjoying your food. We're here to work. But then you'd get every once in a while, you get these people that just sit down and just kind of play with their food. And they just, you know, mm. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, do you, do you taste the whatever? No, I, no, I didn't taste that at all. I'm, I'm here to just move things along. Y'all know what I'm talking about. How many of you savor? How many of you people are savorers or whatever you are? Yeah, some of you are, you weirdos. But it's where you savor God. It's where you intentionally slow down and you begin to set your affection on Him. And it's where you begin to direct everything about you toward God. And, and it's hard. I, I'm not saying it's But I will tell you this. If you will do it, it'll get easier. And if you'll do it, you'll get to the point, I want to do it. You just have to take that by faith. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Number two, the second thing in this is you got to repeat, you got to repeat and repeat. That passage that I just told you, it told us that we have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The next thing, it goes on and it gives some instruction here. It tells us in there that you got to tell your children. Now, whether you have kids or not, or whether your kids are grown and they moved out of the house, you can, you can take this same principle and you can apply it to yourself, no matter what your age is. But the scripture points out in that passage, it says that we are basically, we are to talk about it a lot. We talk about the word a lot. It goes on and it says, as you walk, as you sit, as you lay down, when you rise up, when you, when you go to bed. In other words, the principle of it is this, is that where Jesus is the biggest topic of your discussion. Where the Word of God, you just, everywhere you go, everybody you're talking to, whether you're with your friends, whether you're with your family, whether you're at work, whatever, when you have an opportunity, you intentionally make conversation and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it. And as you do these things, you are training yourself, you are equipping yourself for the day of trouble. In other words, you train for spiritual war by staying engaged in training with those around you. Well, how do you do it? Well, you talk about the goodness of God. God been good to anybody in the house? Talk about it. Tell everybody about it. Do like the old men do and say the same old story to the same person a hundred times. Repeat yourself. It's okay. Keep telling everybody about it. Talk about the mercies of God. Talk about the grace of God. Talk about the word of God. All the time. When I'm sitting, when I'm walking, when I've got my kids, I make it intentional. I'm going to talk about this stuff. Because I'm training them. That's what it said. That's what it said. Number three. Make it tangible. What do I mean by that? Bring the spiritual element into the physical with symbols and signs. 
It said that he instructed them to tie around their arms a symbol on their foreheads and on the doorposts. These physical, these material representations, they are an intentional engagement of a spiritual truth. I am taking what is spiritually true and symbolically representing it in the physical to let their senses pick up on it. Over the centuries, the Jews, they, they took this command literally. And, and you, you, you've probably seen it. Those of you that have, you know, maybe you've been to Israel and witnessed it firsthand. Maybe you've seen stuff on TV, whatever, whatever where you'll see some of the Orthodox Jews, how they'll be up around the, uh, the uh, Western Wall. And they'll be praying, and, and I, I do this with utmost respect. I'm not mocking, but you'll see them having the, the box. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You see it on the box, or you'll see it wrapped around their arms, and, and they go into a mode of rocking. And what they're doing is they're going into a time of prayer and meditation on the Word of God. They took that scripture I just quoted to you literally. That's why they did that. Because it became a physical representation of the spiritual command, the spiritual truth. And... What that's called, what they, what they would put um, uh, on these things on their forehead and on their arm, they're called uh, phylacteries, and they were little, box, little, little boxes that have paper in them, and there would be certain scriptures or there would be prayers on them. And they would take them and they would fold them up and they would stick them in the box, and they would concentrate on that and they would pray that. And then also it talks about putting it on the doorpost in many, many, many Jewish homes when you go over there. I've seen it myself. Just as you start to go into a house, they would have what's called a uh, mezuzah. And it's this little box that's just on the side of the doorpost of a Jewish home that would have the same thing. It would have prayers and it would have scriptures. They, they took that passage scripturally. And the, the point of all this, people say, well, should we do that literally? I'm not saying we've got to do that literally. But the point of what I'm trying to say is, is that they're trying to keep God and the things of God everywhere they go. It's, it's, it's just in front of them. It's everywhere they go. It's on them. It's in their mind. It's in their hands. Whatever their hand finds to do, God's word is there. And there's a principle in that. And when Jesus said, going back to the first part of this message where I talked about where Jesus in Matthew 26, where he made the statement that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus in flesh, he could identify with our struggle, with the weakness of our flesh. But because even in the natural, he had been training himself from just a child in the things of God, he was able to handle the moment that was coming his way, the crucifixion, because he had been in training for it. Jesus trained for that. This wasn't just some willy-nilly thing where Jesus says, well, I'm going to give it a shot and we'll see what happens. No, he went into training for that. And can I tell you, we have to train for the assignment that God has given us. Come on, church we got a plan for this in closing. I want to just give a couple of quick points. I'm going to ask Pastor John and the praise team to come if they would. So when we talk about this, and I talk about spiritual warfare, for many people there's probably, there's probably some conflicts that immediately jump into their mind. Some struggles, some issues, maybe sin issues, maybe issues going on in the home. It's... It's, it's, it's warfare that's being manifested in your home or in your life, maybe in your health, maybe in your body. 
And my question is, do you plan and do you study for this spiritual war that is in your life? Because I want to tell you, the enemy plans and he studies you. He studies you. He's smart. And even though we fight from a position of victory, if we are going to gain ground in these last days, we have to be intentional and prepare for the war that is on us. It's important that we prepare. Why? Because blessing and cursing are at stake. The health and well-being of your family is at stake. Your own spiritual well-being. Culture. Society. The nation literally is at stake right now if you didn't know that. That's not an exaggeration. We live in a world that is designed and structured against godly living. It has now become codified in law in many places to, let's just be honest, anti-God. We see it play out in family dynamics. We see it playing out in, uh, play out in neighborhoods, the job place, schools, the culture, governments. And, and many of us, if we'll be honest, we have unknowingly, unwittingly, unintentionally allowed our lives to be structured in such a way as to be spiritually defeated. In other words, we haven't we haven't done what we need to do in order to be prepared for the day of adversity. So because we, we haven't done the things we should do, we have structured our lives for defeat. We give in to deception. We give in to lies. We give in to false belief. I'll, give you, I'll, just, I'll just give you a very simple um, narrow example of this and, and, and this is just this is just an example I'm not saying this goes for everybody I know everybody's in different situations and circumstance I'm not trying to put this on anybody else but but this is just a decision that my wife and I came to years ago and I think you'll understand why what I'm, what I'm about to say but but I can remember uh, not long after Lily was born Hannah and I had a conversation where we said that when the kids start school we are going to do our utmost to take them to school ourselves and I told her I said because I don't want them riding a bus and I again this isn't me trying to put this off on anybody else and just please please don't go there that's not my intention but I remember what it was like to ride a bus going to school all day long I'm gonna tell you something one of the most godless environments I ever stepped on in my life there was things that as a boy I was exposed to and, and, and it wasn't it wasn't like the school bus drivers fault or none of that I mean 
they, they can't drive and keep an eye on the kids. I'm not, I'm not blaming any adult. I don't mean to say that at all. But, but because of that environment, and, and, and people say, well, Josh, it's at the school too. Yeah, I get that, but there's, there's more people, there's more adults, there's more, uh, you know, oversight, so to speak. But I remember seeing stuff and hearing stuff and, come on, is this okay? And you say, well, what's your point? My point saying this is because we decided that we were going to structure things in such a way that hopefully, prayerfully, they wouldn't have to experience some of the stuff that I experienced. Is that okay to say? And that same thinking parents do all the time. And we should. I did it for my, my kids' spiritual well-being. You do the same kind of stuff too. But guys, we got to take it further than that. We have to be intentional and we have to structure things in such a way where we are training ourselves and we are training the next generation of what really matters. We all grow up in surroundings that train us, whether we realize it or not, to act, feel, think, speak, exactly like those that are around us. Can I tell you, this is how personalities form. That's how personalities form. Your kids watch you. How mom and dad react, that's how they're going to react. They take on your, now I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to the rule, of course, but we're talking generalistically speaking now. And it's also what forms habits that impact people's lives and everybody around them. Can I tell you, this is how sinful tendency becomes habits. And then habits become a natural choice. And then that choice becomes your character. And again, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But, but when we talk about, I'm just going to give an illustration. When we talk about politicians... First thing that comes into people, oh, a lying politician. Well, not every politician is a liar, but the point is there's been enough of that stigma that has went on that everybody automatically puts that label on them, and in many cases for good reason. So sinful habits and lifestyles form, and they're done without even thinking about it. It, it becomes second nature. And here's where, here's where it becomes bad, is we, we become positioned to sin and are simply waiting on the opportunity to do it. We've been so conditioned and positioned just to sin, it's so second nature, we're just waiting for the next opportunity to sin. As opposed to flipping that, and being the kind of people that God wants us to be in the face of adversity. you got to train for that. The wrong thing can so easily become the natural thing to do. But guys, I want to tell you something. God has given us everything we need to be successful in a godless generation like this. We are called to be a light in a dark world. And I want to tell you something. You, you know the illustration. If you used to go in just to, into a, a, 
a, a, a, if, if, if this room, if all the lights were off and it was dark in here and somebody just took a lighter, struck a light, all attention would immediately come to the light. And as that light moved, it would dispel the darkness. I want to tell you, in this last days, there might be a great falling away, but it doesn't have to be us. It doesn't have to be us. We can be the church and the people of God that he wants us to be. We can be that overcomer in this day and time. We can be the light. But you can't just say, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll try. No, you have to be intentional. You've got to train for this. If you would stand tonight all across this place, I would tell you, I'm sorry that I went a little long, but I'm not. With every head bowed, out of just reverence for the Holy Spirit, I'll be honest with you, I, I asked for direction from the Lord and what to do. I, I, I'm not going to force anything. If there's some people here tonight that are say, Josh, you know, I need to, I need to step up. I need, I need to engage in this thing. I need to be more intentional. One of the things that you got to do is you got to love God. See, we get it all backwards. We think in order to love. See, what the world tells you, what the world's definition of love is, as long as you emotionally feel it, well, that's love. That's acceptable. But the moment that you don't feel it in your emotions anymore, then it's okay to move. Can I tell you, there's times when it comes to loving God, the things of God, you have to just simply set intentionally your affections on God. That's discipline. If you're saying, Josh, I'm ready to step into that thing and, 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 and you want to learn how to love God better. Or maybe you're saying, well, Josh, there's some things I need to do better. In other words, you need to repeat, repeat, repeat. If you're going to train for this day and time, talk about Jesus, talk about grace, talk about mercy, talk about the goodness of God, talk about the Word. When you lie down, when you get up, when you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're with your kids, everywhere you go, it's just about Jesus. And finally, if you got to do something to make make the spiritual reality become physically real. In other words, bring it home, make it tangible. You know, one of the things that we do as a body that I love is that we take communion. We do that as a memorial to Jesus and we are taking that symbolic action. Jesus gave a command. He told us to. We do that as a symbolic fulfillment of his command. And when we are partaking, we are, we are, we are doing something that's been carried on that Jesus himself instituted for 2,000 years. There's training in that. There's preparation in that. And if you're saying, Josh, I, I, I need to step into this thing and I need to be more prepared for the day and time. Listen, you got to get a vision, church. We got a vision for this church, but what about you? What's God called you to do? Are you to step into the gap for your grandkids? Is that God's vision for you? I know a lady, that is her vision. Is it, is it to step into the gap in the schools? 
the workplace, I don't know. But if you're saying, Josh, I need to be more intentional in this thing, I want you to raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. I gotta be more intentional. Hands are going up. Come on, keep them up. Keep them up. What I love about it is all different age groups in here. Young to old, all, keep your hands up. All different age groups. Church, the Lord has already given us victory. Our job is to simply enforce the victory on the enemy. I'm going to ask you to come if you want. I'm not going to force anything. If you want to come, those that raised your hand, come on up here to the front. Come on, come on up here to the front if you raised your hand. something when you get up here I want you to hear me because I, I I got corrected on some of my thinking here a few weeks ago I heard a pastor say and I actually had to think about I prayed about this I studied it and I thought you know what I was wrong he was right the more I dug into it I thought I was wrong he was right see I I understand what it is to have this notion in us that when we talk about loving God, that we have to just, you know, it's got to be an emotional trigger where, oh, I just, I can't help myself. I just love him. Can I tell you, it, it's opposite in that you have to make a decision. You have to make a conscious choice in your head. I'm going to serve the Lord. I, I'm going to do it. I, I'm just, I'm going to do this. And then when you make that conscious decision, see, I almost had to reverse. When you make that conscious decision and you start exercising, then, then that's when God says, yeah, I can do something with that. And then God comes along and he helps you in that decision. He doesn't leave you on your vices. The Holy Spirit helps you in that. And then as you begin to live out that faithfulness and that decision, all of a sudden an intimacy grows. An intimacy grows between you and the Lord. Do you know, do you know what the word intimacy means? It means into me see. Into me see. I'm not trying to be graphic, but look, a husband and wife, when they're intimate, I'm not trying to be, it doesn't get any more intimate than that. But there is, there is, a, there is a, a special bond there, obviously, that is just between the two of them. And can I tell you that as you make that decision, a conscious decision, the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to move on you and there will be an automatic intimacy that will begin to develop between you and God. You will begin to feel things about God and learn things about God that otherwise never would have happened. If you want that, if you're ready to grow, if you're ready to train in that, I want you to bow your heads, those of you that are up here tonight. I need some prayer warriors for just a few moments. I need some prayer warriors to come up here for just a few moments. These people, they've made, they've made a declaration is what they've done. See, I feel, and you know, I'm not, this is stuff we used to talk about all the time when I was a kid in kids' church and stuff, you know, joining the army of the Lord. But really, that's what you've done tonight. Maybe you're saved. You've been genuinely saved for years, but some of you have been on furlough way too long. 
You, you, you've had a pass and it's been for way too long. And God is saying, now it's time to come back. It's time to engage in this thing with the training. It's time to engage in the enemy and start taking ground. I'm going to ask every person that's out there that's at your seat, if you would, would you just stick your hands this way, genuinely pray. Just just take your eyes, pinpoint somebody up here that you know, you love, you care for. Just in your head, just say, Lord, and begin to pray for that person as we pray with these for a few moments.
take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for